0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Aren't we thankful for the truth that our God is holy, our God is worthy to be praised, and our God is great. There are so many wonderful things about the truth of our Savior. And praise the Lord that we have been given the Bible as special revelation to tell us more fully about the character of God. Today we are moving into John 10. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles and turn to John 10 right now. John 10 is famous for being the chapter that teaches us about God being our Good Shepherd. And that's going to be the focus this morning. Uh, As you're turning uh, to your Bible, I'm just going to ask you a question. Uh, This might be a little bit vulnerable for you, but you don't have to share a lot. You just have to raise your hand. And the question is simply this. How many of you have ever had a job performance review? Okay, so you guys know what that's like, okay? So hopefully it was good, it was excellent, but sometimes it might not be so high on the bar and you leave feeling discouraged. Maybe you feel that you weren't understood well or maybe you feel that they were actually dead on and you weren't doing your job. In order to understand John 10, you need to understand that this is sort of a job performance review of the spiritual leaders. That's primarily what it is. That's the context of, of the words that are Jesus is saying. And when we read them in the next little while, you need to understand that Jesus is speaking these to the spiritual leaders. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me now, and I will be reading the first six verses. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gates for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Please be seated. So who is the they that don't understand? It's important to know that in chapter 10 we have one illustration. These first six verses is an illustration that Jesus in the next uh, 40 some verses that he explains and he expands upon. And there's two environments that he does that in. And the first 21 verses is a continuation of chapter 9, what Mark taught us last week about Jesus healing the blind man. It's to that same group of people that these first 21 verses are spoken, and the leaders in particular. And then there's another crowd. And what we need to remember is John 9 was a beautiful chapter, right? Who wouldn't want to see a blind man healed and giving praise to God? Who wouldn't want that to happen? I'll tell you who wouldn't want that to happen. The spiritual leaders of the temple. They want Jesus dead. They just can't stand seeing these things happen. They interview the guy. They interview his parents. And ultimately, they throw this blind man out of the temple, out of fellowship with them. And Jesus is saying, you are supposed to be the shepherds. Look what you've done. Your actions revealed that though you have the title, you are thieves, you are robbers. And I've come to speak against that. And I've come to tell you who the real shepherd is and what that means for those who follow him. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be that blind man being touched by God, being able to see Christ clearly, and then look at the people who are supposed to lead you closer to Christ and have them hate you and hate God. This is, again, God's severe rebuke of leaders who aren't listening. So one of the things that we learn as Jesus is telling us these negative things about the spiritual leaders of that time is that these are things that Jesus is not. And that's the first point. Jesus is not a thief. Jesus is not a robber. Jesus is not a hired hand. John 10 verse 1 says this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep by the pen, uh, by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. A thief implies maybe a little bit more more covert activity, not so much a a dangerous thing. They're, you know, cat criminals, something like that. You know, they they do it covertly. A thief, run away. Robber sort of has the, the implication that there could be violence done in the act of thievery. And uh, these are things that we we need to be aware of, that, that he's saying, you guys are treating people like this. You're treating them underhandedly, secretly, and some of them you're just outrightly throwing out. You're harming them. You're thieves and you're robbers. And then we read in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full I memorized this verse early on in my life, and I don't know why, but I always just thought it was primarily talking about Satan. And it really humbles me to read that verse in context and be thinking, no, this is about the humans who are leading his church. Those are huge words. And uh, Jesus speaks them clearly. He doesn't hold punches here. He just says it as it is. But he says, I've come to give life and to give it to the full. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit about a description of these false teachers, these false shepherds. Jesus also calls them hired hands, John 10, 12 to 13. It says, a hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Okay, well, you know what? If, uh, if I'm not really caring about the sheep, if I'm there more or less because it's a job, I'd probably run too if I saw a wolf coming after me. I don't know about you, but when I re watch movies and I see these security guards guarding like, these vast riches and they're getting minimum wage, and then guys come in with guns, yeah, I'm out of there. It's not worth it. It's more or less what he's saying to the priests and the shepherds now is, this is how you're viewing your work. You're not taking it as a responsibility and a privilege, and a role given by God to, to present God to the people you're caring for you're looking at it as a way for you to get your livelihood and to live abundantly yourself without God. Harsh words. The man runs away because he's a hired hand, and this is the key, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I don't care about your blindness. I don't care that you were healed. Get out of here. You're in my way. Jesus says, these are not the people that reflect my heart or will direct people into the fellowship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he says these words against. And now the rest of John, he gives three declarations that tell us something about who he is. And every time Jesus tells us something about who he is, I hope you take that as a treasure. This is God revealing himself to you. Why should he want to? Because he's just that loving. And the first thing he tells us is in this verse in chapter 10 is that he is the gate for the sheep. This is the the third I am statement of the seven that we find in John. And he says, I am the gate for the sheep. A a better translation would be accurately a door. Not that it maybe makes too much of a difference for most of us, but it would be better the door and actually the sheep's door. It, It has a bit more of a personal connotation. And it, it's just, there's also more symbolism behind it being the sheep's door. There's a specific purpose for this door, and it's just to let the sheep in. Um, one of the things that's hugely important for us to understand is that there's only one door. For Christians, do you guys understand that? This is hugely important. There's not a sheepfold where Jesus is one door. And on the south side, there's another door. The east side, there's another door. And as long as you get in, you're good. You get in the wall the other side, you're a thief or a robber. You only get through one door, and that door is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the door, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what we will hear later on in John. So with that, there are three things that Christ tells us about himself, why it's important for us that he is that gate. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out, and he will find pasture. I hope this picture in the back gives you an idea of maybe how Jesus is also a door for us. In the east, there's two different types of pens, and this is the type that would be in the countryside. In the countryside, they'd have a wall of rocks, like a fence wall of rocks, I don't know, maybe five, six feet high, and there'd be one entrance And the entrance wouldn't have a physical door, but the shepherd would serve as that door. So when the sheep were in, the shepherd would be at that opening, and he would make sure that nothing harmful gets in or no one gets out when they shouldn't. And so in that way, Christ is our door. That's a symbol of it. I hope that maybe helps. And then he says, there's three things that you need to know, that if you enter in through this door, you will be saved. And honestly, the context here isn't, and you will be saved and go to heaven. That's usually how you, saved and go to heaven. It's, you will be saved. You will be brought into right relationship with God, which matters now, not just when you die. You are saved. That happens as soon as you ask Christ to be the Lord of your life and forgive you of your sins. Then it says, the sheep will be able to come in and out. That's not in and out of salvation. It's actually covenantal terminology that's a symbol of uh, security and freedom. It was especially uh, a phrase that was used for covenantal, uh, covenantal blessing of obedience. When you're living in obedience with God, there's this type of in and out and there's this this blessing that comes. And finally, you can find pasture, which for sheep would be hugely important, probably more so than for us when we don't think of ourselves as sheep. But in the picture of, the, of being out in the countryside, the pasture is the place where you graze it's the, past, it's the place where you rest. It's where you're in the presence of your shepherd most of the day. And that's where God says, I will bring you. So he is our gate. The second self-disclosing statement of Christ in John 10 is, I am the good shepherd. And again, now this is the fourth I am statement of God, uh, of the seven. And what I want to highlight here is that he doesn't just say, I am the shepherd, because there were other shepherds. That's who he was actually denouncing. So he doesn't just say, I am the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I'd say in this context, good is definitely pointing to the divinity of Jesus. Because in John 10, if, or not John 10, Mark 10, if you remember the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, how can I have eternal life? He says, good teacher, how can I have eternal life? Jesus looks at him and says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And he changes his approach. He says, teacher, he takes out the good and when he addresses God. So now when we see that I am the good shepherd, this is, a, this is also an indication of Christ's deity and his true goodness. He is the source of all goodness. Do you understand? There is no goodness that exists in this world that does not originate in God's plan. Everything else that's perverted is sin and evil, but everything that's good has its source from God if it's truly good. And he is the good shepherd. And he tells us four things that are part of the ministry he has as being a good shepherd. And the first thing is that he lays his life down for his sheep. It's interesting, all throughout the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was a sheep would die on behalf of a person so that their sins would be accounted for. The Bible says in the Old Testament that that without the shedding of blood, sins can't be paid for. And so usually the symbol is a sheep dying to represent the forgiveness of people's sins. It didn't actually forgive it. It was a picture of what Christ was yet to do for us. And if you remember in John 1, we saw John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. At the beginning of John, Jesus says, I am the Lamb. Or John says of Jesus, he is the Lamb who's going to pay for all the sins. And so what we need to remember is that Jesus, all his life on earth, he knew that he was going to the cross. He knew that his, the purpose that the Father had given him was to redeem us, to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. And what really hit me last night when I was thinking about this is the beauty of thinking that Jesus in John not only presents himself as a sheep who we identify with, he also presents himself as a shepherd who is God. And Jesus, as fully man, and Jesus, as fully God, willingly laid his life down for us. He was not a victim of human violence in that way. It was his choice to die. Who would die for a wicked man like me? Someone might die for their friends, the Bible says, but who would die for the wicked? Who would die for an enemy? God. Jesus would. And he wants you to know that as a shepherd, that that's one of his roles as the good shepherd. The second one is he knows his sheep. This is probably the the words that bring the most comfort to people as they read through chapter 10. It's all these things about Christ knowing us and us knowing him. John 10 verse 14 to 15 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Again, this word know is not the intellectual no, like you need in university to go write your exam, which you're thinking about right now, or maybe you just finished, it's, or high school. It's, it's the knowledge that's based on personal knowing, intimate caring, a committed will to be with you. Jesus knows his sheep that way, and we're meant to know him that way. That's the invitation we have. One thing to just clarify is that being a shepherd in the East is quite different than being a shepherd in the West, from what I understand. I'm not in it all the time. (laughs) But from what I've seen and what I understand, in the West, being a shepherd might involve more about kind of getting a bunch of dogs and being behind the sheep and learning to corral them to go where you want them to go. And in the East, a a shepherd leads from the front. He calls his sheep, he sings to his sheep, he plays for his sheep. He just loves his sheep. A shepherd in the East has an intimate fondness for his sheep. Um, It's said that often they will play a flute, and that flute will be a specific sound, so the shepherd's sheep will know his sound. The second type of pen that exists in the east are those that exist in the cities. So when the shepherds come from outside and they've been out in the fields, they've had their sheep in the pasture, and now they say, okay, it's time to be in the city, I need a bath, I want to get a meal, that kind of thing. They bring their sheep into a bigger pen. And there might be a number of different shepherds whose sheep are in this pen. And the picture that we're given now is that when that door opens and Jesus is a good shepherd calls his sheep, just the sheep who recognize his voice, come and they willfully walk out and they follow him. That's a beautiful picture. I, I want a developing walk with God that looks like that, that I know his voice and I willfully want to follow because I love him because I know he loves me and I want to understand the voice of the wicked. I don't need to know what they're saying. I just want to hear their tone, and I want to run the opposite direction. That's not always the desire of my heart. I still choose sin too frequently. But by God's grace, His Holy Spirit can transform our minds, transform our hearts, so we truly hear Him. Clearly, first of all, in His Word. But then His Holy Spirit, I believe, just refines our mind, refines our conscience so that we're more and more able to hear God throughout the day as we see the things that reflect who he is. And we have his Holy Spirit living in us. And so thankful for that. And this is a kicker. Jesus knows us. We know Jesus. How? Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That mutual knowing of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit Jesus says, that's a taste of what you can have with me as well as my sheep. Will you enter the gate? Will you experience that? Will you walk with him? Will you follow him? Will you go to the pastures? Those are the kind of things that we need to be thinking about. And those aren't just answers that you can say, yes, I've done that. Because if that's your answer, you're probably not walking with him. You have an experience with him. It's a daily thing. Not about am I saved or not, but am I following my shepherd? Third thing, he gathers together his sheep. This is found in verse 6. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. When I hear this verse, I automatically think, I was in my early 20s, and I think I've shared this story with you before, but there was three Mormons who came to my house, and uh, for about four months, every week, they'd come for a week, and we'd just talk until they weren't allowed to come to my house anymore. And uh, one of the first conversations I remember having with them, because I didn't know how to be prepared, and I just said, You know what? If you just want to tell me what you believe I need to know, I'd like to then see what, where that is in the Bible and then just read it in context. Are you okay with that? And they said, Yes, that sounds fine with us. So the, one of the first things I remember is that they pointed, they brought us John 10, they said, Look, here's the evidence that Jesus' work wasn't just done in Israel. It also went to the Americas, and some days other planets will also be populated. There's other sheep out there. And I said, well, let's just read it in context because I think it might have a different meaning than what you've been taught. And just so you know, it's not talking about Jesus in the Americas. It's not talking about aliens. It's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Is talking about up till the birth of Christ, the chosen people were the avenue that Christ would need to be born. And once he was born, he died, he rose again. It was good news for everybody that the whole world might be saved. And there are sheep. God's sheep are everywhere. They're interspersed with goats and other types of animals. The Bible talks about that, saying someday they will be separated. (laughs) But this is good news for us. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We are part of that blessing, most of us, because we are the Gentiles. We're the ones that Christ extends the invitation of relationship to. The fourth thing he says is that he takes up his life. So he didn't just lay it down, he also took it up. And so what we need to know again is Jesus always had a a redemptive perspective in his life, and he always had a a resurrection perspective. He was never worried that he was going to get stuck in that grave, that his father would leave his bones to decay. He knew that he was going to be raised again. He knew that after Easter, he would be with his disciples for 40 days on the 40th day that he would ascend to heaven. He knew that 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit would be sent to us so that we could have a more intimate relationship with Christ now than the disciples had when Jesus was right beside them because now the Holy Spirit is in us. And he knew that. Jesus is never a victim. Jesus is never someone who has stuff just done to him. He's sovereign over all. He gave his life willingly and he took it up. This is John 10, 17 to 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. I think a better way of just rephrasing it a little bit is because my father loves me, I lay down my life. Because I'm part of this Trinity and we want this, what we have together, to be extended to our creation. I lay down my life because that's the only way that things can be resolved, redeemed. You are lost in sin. And Christ says, but I've come to redeem. And it's not just my death that does that. It's my life. He goes on to say, I lay down my life only to take it up again. I have authority to lay it down And I have authority to take it up. And praise the Lord for that. Again, he's sovereign. So the verses after this, now the people are listening, and the Bible says there's division among the people. Not a surprise to us as we've been going through John. Jesus' words make division. There's no middle ground with God. You either choose Christ or you don't. You can think you're walking the fence, but Christ knows then you're already on the other side. You're either with Christ or you're not. And so there's division. And so now we've finished the conversations that was with the people that were part of chapter 9, that were with the blind man, and we're entering into another event, which is two and a half months later, but John puts it together because the theme is the same. And if you want to understand these words, actually, if you want to understand John 10 well, you need to become familiar with Ezekiel 34. I encourage you, study your Bibles at home, right? As you hear things that here, like, go home, study it for yourself, study John, study Ezekiel 34. 34 is jesus strong rebuke of his shepherds that's more or less it you read through that whole thing and he looks at his shepherds and he goes you guys i'll take the words from john in there says you're like thieves robbers hired hands you're wrecking my people you're killing my people and you're doing it all for your own benefit i'm getting rid of you you are my shepherds no longer And I am sending one in the line of David who will be the shepherd. And there will be one flock. And there will be one shepherd. And Jesus now is the fulfillment of that as we've just read in John 10. But it's important to understand that background because there's been a lot of dark spiritual guidance in the life of God's chosen people. It hasn't been good. It got so bad that in around 1967 B.C., 1970 B.C., if you remember in the Old Testament, you'll see there's captivities to Babylon. There's different times where God's people are taken away. This part isn't in the Bible, but it's part of history. 1967, 1970 B.C., the Syrians come into Israel. They take it over. They go to the temple, and they desecrate it. They put a pig on the altar, which is a huge offense, they go into the Holy of Holies, they take a statue of Zeus, and they put it where the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be. (sighs) Lord, how can you allow that to happen? How bad has it been that we, your people, that you've allowed that to happen to where you're supposed to dwell? Some of the people just can't take it. Judas Maccabeus, I think his name, 1964, Between 1967 and 1964, they start talking about this is terrible. This can't be this way. God's being defamed. What's wrong with us? Why haven't we been following him like the Bible tells us, like scriptures tells us to? They start developing the fine art of guerrilla warfare, and they just end up taking over Jerusalem again, and they rededicate the temple. And this is important to us. Why? Because in John 10, verse 22, it says, and now it was the feast of Dedication. And this Feast of Dedication is December 25th. It's the day that represents when they got back the temple. And they're saying, we're going to start doing things right. It didn't last long, obviously, because Jesus has a similar conversation in John 10. But it's this thought that we need to get right with God and our leaders have led us astray. How could we let it go that far? And so now Jesus is... During this eight-day festival, it's called a, also a festival of lights. It's very similar to the one I talked about two weeks ago, where it was the uh, uh, festival of Booths. It's a joyous time. It's a celebration time. But this one, instead of being required to come to Jerusalem, you could stay home, and you could light your candles at home, uh, and each, each candle's for a day. The candle in the middle was always lit, and then they'd light a candle for every day. And... Uh, so anyways, Jesus is coming into this time and, and the people finally see him because he's been gone for two and a half months and, and now different people say, Jesus, you know, tell us plainly who you are. You know, if you're Christ, tell us who you They're not really wanting to know the truth. They just want him dead. They want it to catch him in his words so that they can say, look, there's that blasphemer. Kill him. I'm sure that's what they want. And John 10, 25 to 26 says this, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. You didn't believe my works. You didn't believe my words. And I'm going to tell you why. And this is crucial. I'm going to tell you why. It's because you're not my sheep. I can't explain to you, again, how our choice and God's sovereignty go together, but in this instance, he's telling religious leaders and other people who are nearby interested, it's just because you're not my sheep. You couldn't hear me if you wanted to. You're not my sheep. That's kind of crucial. And the words right after this, these are favorite verses of mine and they might become yours too as you read John 10. You're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what life can be like? when we're God's sheep, when we hear his voice, we follow him, and we just realize that he's our shepherd. So this is the background to the final statement of what Jesus says, because the very next words are this, I and my Father are one. Boom! You want to hear it clearly? Boom! There it is. No more hiding around stuff. Jesus has said all the way along. He's had a conversation, a private conversation with the Samaritan woman, with the blind man. Most of those were private conversations. But now in a public place, during the Feast of Dedication, he goes, "I and the Father am one. You want this temple ground sanctified back, like in 1964? Well, guess what? The one who's sanctified is here. I'm the answer to that desire for their messianic hope. I am here. And that doesn't go over well with the crowds. The phrase, the way it was phrased in the Bible I'm currently reading, which is the Holman Christian Standard Bible, is just the Father and I are one. And this word one is not something that makes, okay, so what, are they... Like, just one person, what does that mean? No, it's a, it's more deals with a oneness of purpose, a oneness of will, a oneness of intimacy. It's not amalgamating all the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit until you can't tell them apart. It's, it's a oneness of essence that they share together. And it's a beautiful picture of intimacy, and that's what God invites us into. So, People hear this, there's a big discussion about, really, you think you're God? And he, there's a discussion, you have to read the rest of John, I can't get into that today, but there's a discussion between Jesus and the people about that it's realistic for him to say this because people in the past who have represented God have said that they are sons of God, so why can't it be true that I am a son of God? Can't you at least see that, that what I say reflects the heart of the God that you've seen in your scriptures? And he goes, that's who I am and then he leaves. The last two, three verses of John says, then he leaves and he goes across the Jordan, and he goes to where John was, where he had started the baptisms. John the Baptist had started his baptism, and the declaration that, behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. So this is a symbol for us that his public ministry began where John was, And now his public ministry is ending where John was. He doesn't enter back into uh, Jerusalem until it's time for Palm Sunday. He comes in as a king. And so where he's rejected at his own temple and people don't want him there, he goes across to the Jordan and there people who have heard the message of John without any works. John didn't do miracles. He just proclaimed Christ. When they see Jesus, they say, John was right. You are that person. And then we read these last words on John ten, and many believed on him there. Jesus said to the other people, "If you don't believe my words, at least believe my works, because my works you can't argue with it. I healed a blind man. You can say it's the Satan that did it or God, right? But the works, the works are a testimony that God is at work. But I want you to hear my words." Because my words are the special revelation that bring you into relationship with me. My words are what I give you to reveal who I am. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I and the Father are one. You need to hear my words. And if you're drawn to God when you hear those, thank God that you're a sheep. I have a question for you that I just want you to think about as you go away today. How are you responding to the three declarations Christ makes in this chapter? I'm not asking you how have you responded? I'm asking how are you responding? Because yes, you are saved once as far as asking Christ into your life to have your sins forgiven, but saved in the way that it's used in this chapter is talking about an ongoing changing, transformation being in the presence of your shepherd. He is the gate. He is the shepherd. He laid down his life for you. He rose up so that His Holy Spirit can be in us. How are you responding to the reality that the Holy Spirit lives in you if you're one of the sheep? How are you being led by God? When you wake up in the morning, how are you listening to the voice of your Savior so that you know what to do? Are you running away from anything? Is there anything that's wicked that when you hear it, you just run because you know it's bad? Or are you saying, nah. I hope you run away from some stuff, from some people. And finally, if it's true that God is one with the Father, do you worship him all the time like he's due? Or does it take a Sunday morning for us to do that? Man, I want to be the type of person when people know me that they'd say, of the character qualities, there's someone who worships God. So praise the Lord that he reveals himself to us. And I pray that we hear. And I pray we respond in a way that is suitable for our Savior. And with that, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and, and close us in a song. But I pray that you will be blessed as you dig more deeply into John 10 this week. And uh, we have many, many chapters left to go to learn about our great Savior. So have a good morning.